takes my breath away. There is hope in the night. I was uh, goosebumps all over. Psalm 46 was what came to mind. I'm just going to read some of it for you, friends. In light of what has just happened, even this week, we come here for good news as we are just lambasted with bad news all week long. In Germany, 21 people killed in Baghdad, another 80 in Afghanistan, you know, about nine from what I heard last count in Germany, and on and on it goes. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Come and see the works of the Lord. Desolations he had brought on the earth. He makes seas to the end of the earth. He makes wars seas to the ends of the world. Be still and know that I'm God. A great work of hope in the night. Can we pray together as a church, friends? Lord Almighty, we come to you as your people in this place. Sometimes very, very close to where evil shows its head so vividly. Other times a little further removed, but still your people in this world. And so would you use us and along with us, the multitudes of millions around the globe that call on your name and are shouting out even this morning for hope in the night. May we see your hand, O oh Lord. May we see that it indeed is true that you is, you are our refuge and our strength, the ever-present help in trouble. May you find us not silent but active. May you find us speaking out for the ways of the Lord. May it be even in this place that you will find faithful, God-honoring, Christ-serving people who cry out and say, Lord, here am I. Send me as your witness to this world. Amen. And amen. If we have learned anything the last several weeks, if, as if we hadn't learned it a long time before that, all the horrific events we see just about every day now, we have certainly learned that human beings have not figured out this whole thing about life, have we? We sometimes talk as if we have, we sometimes act as if we have, but boy, has it ever been more evident than now that we have not. We need to find a new way to a thorough 
renewal of the very way in which we are thinking about life. The very way in which we are looking at the world and at reality. We have become so keenly aware that we cannot do it on our own. And when we try, the failures are all too evident. I'm going to read a text with us this morning uh, from John chapter 3. If you begin to find your way there while I'm kind of getting ready to read the text. I think the last 20 or, or 30 years of love affair with psychology and its ability to help us put previous experiences in perspective so that a healing process can begin reveals to us with all the clarity of the world that we desire to find a new way to think about all the reality that is ours and all the things that happen around us. We're on the hunt for a new way of thinking that would put things in perspective and help them give meaning, so to speak. The so-called modern time where mathematical and physical and chemical and political formulas postulated that they can find a solution to all life's questions have come up bankrupt. We're no longer awed by reductionist desires to reduce human life, your and my life, to a mere coincidence that can be explained with some kind of advanced way of saying two plus two is four. No, we're asking, we're asking questions that just will not be answered by earlier generations' love affair with technical solutions. There's more to it. Really, I hope this text will help us see that this morning. What we need is not an elevation of our own calculations to kind of give them some kind of divine power as if they held the solution to anything. What we really need is to experience the power that comes from Almighty God. We need to truly know what it means when God says, I will give you a brand new life. Behold, I have made all things. New. Can I tell you a story? Well, I'll let the Apostle John do it. It's about a man, a researcher, a theologian, a politician who is just trying to find out what is life really all about. This guy, or man, is called Nicodemus. 
And he came to Jesus to find out what's going on. What is this whole thing we call life all about? And when he leaves, he leaves full of insight into what he lacks to have to experience a brand new life. He learned how to reach for the renewing, recreating power of God Almighty. Can we read this text together, friends, from chapter 3 of John? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, like everyone else, was concerned about what life was about and also about what other people thought about his struggle to find a new perspective for some kind of deeper understanding of life. So he came to Jesus at night. Now we don't necessarily know for a fact that he came at night because he, he wanted to avoid being seen and he wanted to make some kind of secret out of his meeting with Jesus. It could be also, of course, that this is kind of the setting that is there so symbolically to express what he was experiencing in his heart, darkness. And upon that, Jesus' word is revealed. It could, of course, also be that he was just trying to find a time when he could be alone with Jesus. And all the way through the day, there was just always crowds around Jesus. We don't quite know, but that's the setting. And John chose to highlight it. Nicodemus had to figure out what was going on. Everywhere he looked, he was noticing that people around him who had had contact 
with Jesus were different. There were no doubt in Nicodemus's mind that they had met God in ways that he had not. Everywhere he turned, he met people who spoke about how their lives had been changed, that how God had suddenly revealed all things to them and what used to be darkness was now light and Nicodemus was not about to simply let that go, say, okay, well, whatever, good for them. Spectator sports is no good when it comes to real life, friends. He wanted to know for himself. Don't you? Don't you? And don't you want to encourage your friends to know from them for themselves as well? Now notice what happened. Now I think this is a very kind of intriguing and maybe very telling situation. Instead of simply asking Jesus a direct question about who he is and what he was doing specifically, Nicodemus draws some personal conclusions about who Jesus has to be. Well, you know you are since we've seen these things, right? He had his own presuppositions about Jesus and, and from these, he had pre-formulated some conclusions that only implicitly contained a question about who Jesus actually was. Before he even met Jesus, he had already determined what he thought about him, who he was, what he was about. Can I ask you a personal question? Just you and me, we're not going to tell anybody else. You ever do the same thing? Draw conclusions ahead of time. Working from your own presuppositions, you make conclusions about Jesus. Even before you truly encounter his presence. See, Nicodemus was confused. He stood before a person who just utterly had shattered, blown away, if you will, all the nice, cute little boxes that Nicodemus has, had created and uses, were using to explain his understanding of reality. And just in all fairness, we get that, don't we? We kind of can relate, I think. Presuppositions are just flat hard to get rid of. I could say all kinds of things the other way, but they will not be true, right? They're just hard, yes, to get rid of. It's one thing to say, I got to get rid of them. It's easy for me to say, you got to get rid of them. It's quite another thing to actually do so.
deep down, most all of us, unless you're the righteous exception, then most all of us have a gut reaction that simply says, I know what I think about this stuff. I know what I think about life. And is there anything is ever going to change any of that, it better answer the questions that my presuppositions are asking. Are you seeing what's going on in this text? You have it open, just look. We know who you are, Jesus, so please answer this. Are you hearing me? Even when we don't really like that this is the reality, it's just often how it is. And we're called in this text to find a way to reconsider that. Look here. Jesus just flat refuses to be measured by Nicodemus's measuring stick, if you will. Nicodemus claimed that, that he could see who Jesus was through his signs and, and wonders. And then Jesus replies, and it's not so very interesting to look at that. Jesus replies and says, no, you can't see anything until the very foundation on which you stand and from which you ask your question and make your conclusion have been changed. You must replace that very pre-conclusion and that foundation on which you look at me the same way everybody else might. You see, what is happening here is that his presuppositions about reality were hindering him. They were in the way for him to see things in a new way, to see anything in a new way. And Jesus says, you can't see God's kingdom even in the slightest until you've been born again. I hope we're hearing this. When I read this text again and again and then again in preparation for this morning, I was just asking, God, help me truly see this. Jesus is not particularly interested in fitting in to our little boxes of our understanding. It is not a question of whether he will fit our measuring stick, the real question is, are we willing, even do we dare, to measure ourselves against his measuring stick? I think we probably have all said that. Certainly we've all heard that. If Jesus would just do this or that for me, now, I will believe that. I know I've talked to a lot of people about the Lord and, 
and they say, well, you know, I know what you're saying and all that, and I kind of get that, but, you know, I can't really believe. Now, if he would show himself in this way, then, of course, it would be different. But, friends, the story of Nicodemus shows us that that's just not how it works. The almighty God, the one who created all things, the one who flung the planets and hung them on their orbits, does not have to explain to us or to prove to us his existence. 600 years before Nicodemus, in the very book actually that Nicodemus was studying, God had already used his prophet to explain what he was all about. Here's what God says through his prophet. He said, I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh. I will forgive your wickedness and I will remember your sins no more. That, dear friends, is what God offers us. A new inner person, a new heart, a new warmth and new love. And honestly, friends, when all the gunk of life is scraped away, is that not really, deepest down, what we want? A new inner person, a new warmth, a new heart, a new love. Well, let's stay with the text. See, this is so radical that the only way to explain this is to use language like born again or born from above. No other language will suffice to express the radical nature of this. And Nicodemus, of course, was flabbergasted. What? Come again? No way. You can't get back into your mother's womb. What's wrong with you, Jesus? But friends, don't misunderstand this. Nicodemus was no fool. Brilliant mind. He was not so dense that he actually thought that what Jesus meant was that Jesus, that people had to be reborn, literally getting back into the physical womb of their mother. Nicodemus was a highly educated person, very smart guy, top of his class, so to speak. He was in the game, Jewish council on the top. So what made him say what he said? 
It was simply that he was so flabbergasted about the very radical nature of what Jesus said that it blew away anything and all things that he had known up until this point. There's no way. Everything that he had learned, that he had concluded from his studies, everything that had guided his research, everything that he had experienced, all of that, the only expectation that he knew was what had come from that background that he already had had. His only anticipation, therefore, for newness was that he could find some way of rearranging the old so that it felt new. Are you hearing me? That's not what Jesus is talking about. But if we're honest, that's how we approach a lot of things as well. We're trying to find some kind of way where we can restructure former things and old ways in such a way that it feels new. But in the end, we are reaching for our own way and our own power. You know, highly educated as he was, Nicodemus, in clear thinking, he was completely aware that, that some mature person cannot just forget the past that has shaped them. He cannot just skate, skate over the pain that had left deep scars in his heart and his soul and personality. It was impossible just to kind of remove old habits that were deeply anchored in his life and his soul. And so he misunderstood what Jesus was saying. And he thought Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you need to find a brand new way and start life completely over. As if he had just come out of his mother's womb. He thought it was up to him to find the resources within himself to just rearrange and try again. And that rearrangement should move him in some way or another to a new experience of life. But friends, nothing could be further from what Jesus said than that. The new birth Jesus is talking about it's not about reaching back within ourselves to find our own resources to start over in our own way. Jesus is not recommending some kind of restructuring of old experiences. What he's talking about are the resources of God. A radical transformation of our very inner being. Jesus talks about new life power. A power that is built not from our own resources, but from God's 
resources straight from the throne of God, if you will, the Almighty. He's talking about the Spirit of God. And if you think about it, when you open the pages of the New Testament, you'll wonder why this whole spirit language is all over the place. Can't hardly crack a single chapter in Paul without that being the center of his conversation. It goes through again and again and again, also in the rest of the New Testament. That's the offer. That's the offer from the creator himself. As promised by the prophet, even 600 years before Nicodemus, I will put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you the heart of flesh, I mean, the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Put succinctly what Jesus is talking about is that he wants to blow in a new breath. The Hebrew word for wind or for breath and for spirit is the same word, ruach. He will breathe into your lungs a new life-giving spirit. It's also why he's talking about being born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. I sure hope we get this. It's easy to listen to, I think, but difficult to actually practice. Easy to agree with, but not so easy necessarily to reach for because we're so used to the other. But please don't get confused with this language of spirit. A lot of people kind of shut down when they hear that for all kinds of reasons. We just kind of shut down when we hear language of spirit. It's something we like to talk about theologically in a way, but we struggle with talking about it as a real power that changes things, at least in many contexts, that will be the truth. Most people, many people want something that they can touch. Something they can explain. Something they can show. Something they can hold on to. We're kind of stuck in the mud empiricists, if you will. So listen to Jesus' word about the wind. Can anyone see the wind? No. No. Can anyone feel it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Can anyone grab a hold of the wind? No. But it can grab a hold of us. Do we live in Texas? Do we know that? It can shake us. It can even move us. Yes. Without seeing it with our own eyes, we both hear it and see its effects and feel its effects. And that's what Jesus says about the Spirit of God. If 
The renewing power of God's fear grabs a hold of your life truly, fully. If he is allowed to send a fresh wind through your life and through this congregation, all of us. The effect will be very visible. He will shake us. He will move us. It'll change, friends, our lives. Nicodemus, I have no doubt, came to Jesus because deep down that's really what he wanted. Is that not also what you want? Researcher, scholar, theologian, politician, recognize his need to check out Jesus for himself. Don't you? He had to fight to find his way through all his own presuppositions. All the conclusions that he has already drawn, but he did. And so will you. It's your life, but it's God's wind. Why don't you ask for it? We need it, friends. You need it. The world needs it. Let's go ahead and ask for it. Father, in so, so many ways, we come to you the exact same way Nicodemus did. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we admit to you that so many times we simply just express our own conclusions instead of truly listening to who you say you are and to what you say needs to happen in our lives and then through us to those around us. Father, I ask for a special outpouring this morning of your spirit. The vast majority of those of us who are gathered here this morning have called you Lord for years and years. Still, we need the fresh wind of God to come in and grab a hold of us and shake us and renew us and empower us. 
And Father, those who are here who cannot claim to ever have truly called you, Lord, at least not with their heart and their life. Would you move in them as well, Father? We ask, Jesus, that you will pour out your spirit in such a way that no one can leave here this morning without, like Nicodemus, recognizing that everything, everything is different when we have met with Jesus. Let the prayer from the inside of every one of us cry out to heaven for a new inner being with a new heart, with a new love, new warmth, and a new awareness of God's empowering presence. We ask these things in your holy name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand, friends, and I want to invite you to make a decision. I want to invite you to kind of react to this. Some of you may just need to be seated where you're seated or grab someone's hand, come up and pray. Lord knows we need an outpouring, kind of like Nicodemus learned it right here. This is not for me, just this is not for you, just this is actually kind of for all of us, yes? Pretty powerful story. Think of that. Let me tell you a story. There was this man, and here we go. Yes, that could be any of us.